The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out that you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH on Andy, your host, and before we start today's show, I would like to thank George, Jerry and Herman for their recent donations. If you are able to help keep the show on the air, please go to achshow.com, click the banner at the top, or go down on the right-hand side and have a look at the two books that are there. Today is Thursday, so of course it's time for the weekly visit of our good friend Dr Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And folks, I'm just going to make uh, this quick announcement now i might have confused everybody with the show that's going out next week because that was originally going to go out on thursday january the 30th and it might have gone out sooner and uh, you'll hear the announcement when that show is broadcast it's not current affairs based which is why we can still use it a couple of weeks after we broadcast it but essentially um what happened is we had some technical problems and I was unsure of travel and all sorts of things if I'd have to air that show earlier I'm ending up airing it a week later and the reason is that uh, Desmond Tutu died over the weekend and uh, there's been a lot of praise of him in the media so we're going to set the record straight today with a show entitled The Real Story of Archbishop Desmond Tutu so that being said Peter where would you like to start us off today? Well, we have got Archbishop Desmond Tutu passed away on the 26th of December. And so this is major news um, in South Africa and I, I presume pretty much worldwide because uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu is being praised as a hero, freedom fighter, saint, even a man of God. And it's understandable why Desmond Tutu is so popular in the mainstream media because he was a very um, big, major player in the globalist agenda in bringing down the old South Africa. And so uh, he is uh, described as the most powerful and unique um, contribution to publicizing the anti-apartheid struggle abroad, particularly in the United States. And so in South Africa, he's been praised by, amongst others, the South African Communist Party that Tutu was more effective in the freedom struggle than even Nelson Mandela, because unlike Mandela and other members of the ANC, he had no links to the Southern Communist Party and therefore was seen to be more acceptable to Americans and British people amidst the Cold War anti-communist sentiment of the period. And so he's been often compared with Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Jesse Jackson, and he's been referred in South Africa as the Martin Luther King of South Africa. He is probably the most prominent religious leader in all of Africa, advocating liberation theology, and certainly gay and lesbian rights as well. Uh, he's uh, a, the person who they say was the most involved in bringing down the old apartheid regime, uh, because he is described as very enduring and uh, a person who was able to make himself liked amongst almost everyone he is with. Uh, he's been described as the personification of the South African freedom struggle, a spokesman for his people, a voice of the voiceless, and so on. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of very disturbing things about Desmond Tutu. He's not an Orthodox Christian at all. 
In fact, Desmond Tutu was very clear that he didn't believe in the inspiration of Scripture. He didn't believe in inerrancy or infallibility of Scripture. And uh, as a result, um, when Desmond Tutu became the Archbishop of Cape Town in 1986, uh, I was there and uh, we distributed over 10,000 copies of a booklet produced by Gospel Defense League, the Archbishop and the Bible. And so on the occasion of this um, extraordinary enthronement, as they called it in the Anglican Church, of Desmond Tutu, uh, we produced this, uh, which contrasted what Desmond Tutu said with what the Bible said. So, for example, Desmond Tutu said um, in the Cape Times, some people thought there was something odd about Jesus' birth. It may have been that Jesus was an illegitimate son. In fact, he was born illegitimately to show that he identified with the majority of people who are born illegitimately. So he didn't believe in the virgin birth. He denied the virgin birth. Whereas the Bible is very clear. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And uh, many times we read in the scriptures, especially in the Christmas readings, the virgin's name was Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary. So quite clearly he rejects the Bible's teaching on the amongst others, the uh, virgin birth. On the Holy Spirit, Desmond Tutu said <clears throat> in St. Albans Cathedral in Pretoria, the Holy Spirit is not limited to the Christian church. For example, Mahatma Gandhi, who's a Hindu, the Holy Spirit shines through him. And so he believed that even people such as Mahatma Gandhi were spirit-filled. And obviously the, the whole concept that, considering all the strange things Mahatma Gandhi did and his weird sexual activities and sleeping with naked young girls and uh, um, not with his wife, though. He separated from his wife for most of his life. And when his wife contracted malaria, he wouldn't let her take uh, any malaria pills because that was Western medicine. But uh, but when he got malaria, he took um, the anti-malarial pills, the quinine and so on. So he's, you know, many people could call Mahatma Gandhi quite a hypocrite and there's quite a lot of weird things he did. But still, the fact that an archbishop can claim that a Hindu has the Holy Spirit in them, very unorthodox, because our Lord Jesus said, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness to me, and the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he'll take what is mine to clear it to you. So you know if the Holy Spirit's in someone's life, because he glorifies and honors Christ, which plainly non-Christians like Mahatma Gandhi do not. And incredibly, in 1980, Bishop Tutu declared that the kingdom of God has arrived in Zimbabwe. Now, for any of our listeners who know anything about Zimbabwe, uh, it's more like the kingdom of Satan arrived in Zimbabwe with Mugabe's uh, friend, Robert, uh, with Robert Mugabe, Tutu's friend, coming to power at the barrel of a gun. And the tens of thousands of people massacred like the Madabili and thrown down mine shafts and the uh, scorched earth in Madibiland, the destruction of so many people and the imprisonment without charge or trial of so many and torture in Chikarubi and other prisons in Zimbabwe, the, the absolute hellhole that Zimbabwe became under Mugabe Zanu PF, where more than half of the population fled, you know, voting with their feet, they got no other way to vote. And the fact that Zimbabwe became such a hellhole that uh, more than half of the total population fled the country and are living outside the country even now. Unemployment soared to 95%. That's unemployment soared to 95%. And uh, uh, it's just an extraordinary mess. They had the worst inflation ever seen in the history of the world in communist Zimbabwe, where a $100 trillion note could not buy a half a loaf of bread back in 2008, for example. And that's after they'd removed 16 zeros from the currency. So it was runaway inflation to such an extent that one brick cost more than all the properties, businesses, and homes combined um, at independence. And so by 2008, the currency was beyond worthless. And so much so that there were signs in lavatories, do not use Zimbabwe dollars um, in the lavatories because it'll clog up the toilets and so on. And, and that, that isn't a joke because it was worth less than toilet paper. And uh, But the kingdom of God arrived in Zimbabwe according to Desmond Tutu. But our Lord Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Well, uh, Nelson uh, Mandela was uh, described by Desmond Tutu as my leader. And he received the Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of Nelson Mandela 
the Walter Sisulus, the Gracia, uh, the Govenbeckis, the Winnie Mandelas, the uh, Albertina Sisulus, and um, uh, bear in mind, Winnie Mandela is the one who said, with our boxes of matches and with our necklaces, we will liberate a country, which meant burning people alive and a thousand black town councillors, parliamentarians, uh, mayors, and other people, including black policemen, others were burned alive with the necklace, the brutal, putting a, a what they called a necklace of an automobile tire, rubber tire of a person, pouring diesel or gasoline, petrol over a person, sending them alive. And uh, so he said that Winnie Mandela was his inspiration. He said many um, flattering, beyond ridiculously positive things for these terrorists like Mandela and uh, Sisulu and Mbeki and so on. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give unto you. And let not your heart be troubled, neither let be afraid. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But Mandela, according to Tutu, um, he saw as his leader the ANC terrorist leaders. So he may not have officially been a Communist Party member, but he certainly was very pro-communist. Uh, in fact, uh, he said uh, very clearly that if the Russians were to invade South Africa, we would welcome them as saviors. He said that in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, 1984. Uh, he also said that communist China provides a very good model for developing countries. And um, he said that in 1986 to the Washington Enquirer, by the way. But our Lord Jesus said that false prophets who um, will come, many false prophets will come. And uh, we read in 2 Peter 2 verse 19, those who promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And there's no salvation in anyone else. For there's no other name given unto him by which men must be saved, but that of our Lord Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and life. And yet Tutu could say that, if the Russians, meaning the communists in the 1980s, were to invade South Africa, they'd be welcomed as saviors. He even said every Christian must be a revolutionary. Jesus was a revolutionary. I'm a revolutionary. You must understand that someone who wants to completely change things, I'm for revolution. Uh, whereas our Lord uh, told us to put off the old nature and put on new nature and uh, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So... Desmond Tutu was, in fact, quite an ambivalent uh, person. Um, at one point, uh, he uh, said, Mandela is my leader. I'm not going to be dictated to as who should be my leader. And remember, Nelson Mandela is the one who said, there's no alternative to violence. We must take up arms. There's no room for peaceful struggle in South Africa. And so at that time, um, Tutu in the 1980s was totally supporting Mandela when, when he was supporting car bombings such as the Church Street bombing in Pretoria, which killed over 20 people and injured over 100. Um, and uh, he, in fact, was party to the planning of uh, the petrol bombing of um, Johannesburg Central Railway Station, where grandmother and her was killed and her young grandchild, granddaughter, was uh, severely burned in that uh, bombing. And Mandela supported that, never apologized for it, but Tutu supported him. But Jesus said, follow me. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he have the light of life. Tutu said, the West can go to hell. 1986, the same time he became uh, Archbishop of Cape Town, uh, he was saying the West can go to hell. But Jesus said, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hell, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. Tutu said, you build up a process of disobeying on a massive scale, and this means all the laws in the statute book will be overruled so that this country becomes ungovernable. So his goal was to bring about the country to be ungovernable. In fact, he supported no education without liberation. And in fact, we have, we have in the country 5 million, what they call the lost generation of unemployable young people uh, in the black communities who had no education because the ANC and their supporters burned down over 2,600 schools in the 1980s in this no education before liberation campaign, which Desmond Tutu supported. Interestingly, Desmond Tutu sent his children to America, I think to Georgia, uh, where they studied in a private school in America while other black youths were being deprived of basic education. So people did think he was a bit of a hypocrite as well. Uh, but 
In the scripture we read in Proverbs 28 verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, and those who keep the law strive against them. We are told in 1 Peter 2 to be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors who are sent by to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. Now, Desmond Tutu said in the Daily Telegraph in London, one young man with a stone in his hands can achieve more than I can with a dozen sermons, which is possibly true, but it says more about the worthlessness of his sermons. But uh, imagine that talking about Bear in mind, when he's talking about a young man with a stone in his hand, he wasn't talking about him building something. They were using stones to throw stones onto people driving motorbikes and cars and dropping concrete blocks from bridges down, uh, which killed people um, as it fell through the windscreens into the cars driving. I mean, this sort of happened many times at that stage. Mother uh, driving uh, her black friend back to the township um, had her child killed by someone throwing a stone through the back window and it killed the baby sitting in the back seat in the, in the baby chair. Uh, so, you know, this is the context. And then he could make an irresponsible comment like one young man with a stone in his hands can achieve more than I can with a dozen sermons. But Proverbs 16, 29 says, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. We're told to be subject to governing authorities. And we're told uh, not to be lawless. Lawlessness is sin. Desmond Tutu said in the Cape Argus, thank God I'm black. White people will have a lot to answer for on the Day of Judgment. The idea that you'll be judged according to your race is pretty disturbing because it's a point that a man wants to die off that the judgment and God will render to each man according to his works, not according to his race. It's not about race, it's about grace. Uh, it's not about skin, it's about sin. Uh, but to Desmond Tutu, um, he believed that Black people are all victims and white people are all villains and evil. Uh, and yet the Bible makes it clear that uh, God will judge everybody uh, in relation to how they uh, obeyed him and his law and the word of God. And then at one stage in 1984, he says, I'm not saying that all whites should be massacred now, which sounds very reminiscent of what uh, Julius Milema said more recently. But uh, that's 1984, and immediately after this, he said, imagine what would happen if only 30% of domestic servants in white households would poison employers' food. Now, this was reported in 1984, and shortly after that, someone who is a supporter of his, who is a bus driver, took a bus, a school bus full of children, off the road into a dam. He was one of the few survivors. Most of the children there drowned and died in there. And, of course, there was... A lot of people assume this is done deliberately, and uh, this uh, black man needed to be put into police custody and protection because there are so many parents who are after his blood. And uh, we don't know that any justice ever happened or ever came to trial, but Desmond Tutu had been encouraging that. He said on WNBC TV in 1985, suppose you gave each white person a vial of arsenic. Uh, suppose you, you um, look after the white people's children and you can do with them what you want while their parents are away. Now, another time in 1986, he said in the Boston Jewish Times, um, and uh, also in the Sunday Times in 1986, is it not surprising that black resistance has not blown up a school bus with white children? They're the softest of targets. And uh, these are the kinds of incendiary, highly irresponsible comments that he'd make. And uh, just extraordinary that he could be that um, irresponsible Whereas the scripture says, do not devise evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Proverbs 3, 29. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of law. Romans 13, verse 10. And our Lord said, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. Do to others what you'd want them to do to you. And that we should always do good to all men and especially to those of the household of faith. What a pity Desmond Tutu didn't spend as much time reading and promoting the scriptures as he did liberation theology black theology and Marxism disguised in some kind of religious God. So on revolution, he called for revolution. Um, when it came to sanctions, he supported sanctions. He supported uh, disinvestment, which led to millions of black people losing their jobs and to the lost generation of those who had no education because of ANSI thugs burning their schools. But the Bible says 
The bread of the needy is in the life of the poor. Whoever deprives him of it is a man of blood. To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. That's in Ecclesiasticus 34. He also said in economics, I'm a socialist. I hate capitalism. Although he does love capital, he he lived in the bishop's court, uh, the most exclusive and expensive uh, neighborhood in all of South Africa, uh, and uh, in um, uh, Santon when he's up in Transvaal. So he was in the, in the two most exclusive, richest uh, million and billionaire suburbs uh, that anyone could live in. Uh, he lived in, in opulence, and uh, uh, he might have hated capitalism, but he sure loved capital. Uh, he also said, I would use the Marxist insight from each according to his ability to each according to his need. That, I believe, is in line with what our Lord himself would have taught, because he didn't teach it. But he thinks Karl Marx put it better than Jesus in his word, Inside South Africa, April 1988. And yet the Bible says, you to love the Lord your God, and you to remember the Lord who is to give you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant a slack hand gives poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. If anyone will not work, neither should he eat. And that's in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So uh, these are things that I, uh, I'm quoting from straight from the Archbishop of the Bible, these booklets that I've just read 10,000 copies of in the run-up to Two Thousand and Thrones in Cape Town, 1986. Uh, here's uh, another one of his um, uh, quotes that he said, if Jesus Christ came to South Africa today, he would certainly be detained. And for that, I wrote another tract, uh, which was called, If Jesus Christ Came to South Africa Today, Would He Be Detained or Would He Be Necklaced? So uh, it's quite extraordinary. <laughs> Friday the 13th of April, 1987, Desmond Tutu declared before a crowd of 4,000 at a graduation ceremony at the University of Cape Town. If Jesus Christ came to the world today, he would certainly be detained. So... <laughs> Sensational, irresponsible declarations like this are hardly unique in a time of fanatical hysteria, radical propaganda. And it's not unusual that a leader of a church hierarchy would espouse such a motive, manipulative political nonsense. But what was amazing is that 4,000 people at the University of Cape Town listened to such unsubstantiated fiction without at least some Bible-reading Christian standing up and challenging this political priest. And so I wrote the tract, if Jesus came to South Africa today, would he be detained? Or is it not more likely that he would be burned to death, necklaced by the same kind of mobs which scream crucify him, crucify him? Or has Archbishop Tutu so neglected to study the scriptures that he's forgotten who connived to arrest and crucify our Lord? Does Tutu not recall that it was the religious leaders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the theological lecturers, the bishops, the priests, the archbishop of that time, who ruthlessly plotted the murder of God's son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reason was not so much political, but religious. It was because the religious leaders would not believe that Jesus was who the Old Testament prophecy said he was. And of course, many of our religious leaders today, theological professors, bishops and ministers, are also guilty of the sin of unbelief, and they reject the deity of Christ in the of scripture. And the Bible clearly teaches that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, tried to find a way to set Jesus free. And the political leader declared, I find no reason to condemn him. I cannot find any reason to condemn him. I find no reason to condemn this man. Three times in John and Luke, we read that he was found not guilty by the, Pon the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. But it was the hypocritical religious leaders and the easily manipulated mobs of common people in the street. They demanded the death of Jesus and the release of Barabbas. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would rather release Barabbas to him. Now, how like the archbishops of our day, and that the chief priests were more concerned about the release of a political prisoner, a rebel, a murderer, than they were with the Son of God, the Messiah. And Pontius Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to him, but they shouted, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Now, how like the mobs of our day that they allowed themselves to be manipulated by ruthless and evil men to cause the death of the innocent. Then he said to them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I find no reason for death in him. Therefore, I will have him flogged and let him go. But the mob was insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. And so uh, what a cheek for Tutu to say if Jesus came to South Africa in 19... 
86, he would be detained. It's more likely he would have been necklaced by the mob. And how like the illogical slogan chanting, cliche shouting fanatics of our day. Their throat doesn't open too. Their tongues have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's in Romans 3. How tragic that the slogans and cliches and parrot cries should replace study of scripture and logical discussion. So Pilate gave sentence as they requested, and he released them, the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown to prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. It's horrifying that political leaders like Pontius Pilate want to please the crowd, that leaders should be led, that leaders should pay more attention to what is popular than to what is right. The leader could listen more to hysterical screaming of a mob than to the gentle, still small voice of his conscience. Proverbs 17 verse 15 says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. And so uh, it's extraordinary how Desmond Tutu continued to say again and again that Jesus is on the side of the poor and oppressed. And of course, Jesus is on the side of the poor and oppressed, but who defines who is poor and oppressed? Um, and he was, of course, Tutu was using the Marxist dialectic uh, to determine who are the people and who are the poor and who are the oppressed. I was at one of these mobs outside of Desmond Tutu's uh, church where he was being enthroned and I was confronted. Uh, what happened was uh, we had put up posters, actually a thousand posters, <laughs> uh, which had been printed of Desmond Tutu um, in his red bishop's gown um, with a gilded cross, ornate gilded cross that he had opened up in the middle. Inside you could see a kind of Arabic um, type of dagger a backstabbing curved dagger inside it, and he's got a smirk on, on his uh, a face, a smile. So we put up all these posters as a way of protest all over Cape Town the night before his rally. And I was standing actually at the Cape Town International Airport with several of our people as people were coming in their religious fancy dress the days before. And as they were coming in, we were saying, uh, welcome to the show. And we were giving them these purple little booklets which had the archbishop's uh, insignia on it and entitled in nice script, The Archbishop in the Bible. And I had Orthodox priests and Anglican bishops and so on thanking me, taking these booklets. And we were distributing them at traffic lights, distributing them outside the church uh, where Tutu was gathered. And uh, there was this huge crowd that gathered, massive, massive crowd. And at a key point, three of our people dressed in black, uh, two women and one man, walked slowly over towards the side of, of the Anglican Church, St. George's Cathedral, downtown Cape Town, and laid a wreath and stood there with their heads bowed and their hands clasped in front of them. And the media swarmed around him. What is this? What are you doing? Uh, what does this mean? And the uh, one man, our friend Gunnavi Welk, said, this is in memory of the Anglican Church. <laughs> the, pop, the whole mob went absolutely berserk. And uh, I was standing there and... Uh, uh, one of these uh, people there shouted, why are you distributing these anti-tutu booklets? I said, they're not anti-tutu, they're pro-Christ. We're calling people back to the Bible. And I was told, what do you see is wrong with tutu? So I replied, he is man-centered, not Christ-centered. His solutions are political, not spiritual. Do you disapprove of tutus and thrones as Archbishop as challenged? And I said, yes, certainly. I believe a church leader should be a man of prayer, not a man of politics. And I was told, but Tutu is a man of the people. I said, maybe so, but he's not a man of God. And then I was told, a man of God must be a man of the people. So I responded, I mean, this is a whole stream of media. I've got a picture of this absolute mob of media and all these cameras all around me. And I'm uh, standing in the middle of this mob. I was just 26 years old at the time, which is quite intimidating. But um, I said, rubbish. A man of God must be a man of the Bible, capable of preaching repentance to sinful, rebellious mankind. We are not to be man-pleasers, we to be people who seek to please God. Then I was told, but the people have elected Tutu. I said, quite right, God has not chosen them, but people. Which people? The press has catapulted this political priest to this office. Not God, not ordinary church members. So I was asked, why are you here? Why are you attacking Tutu? I said, I'm here standing for Christ and I'm calling on the church to return to biblical standards, to reject worldly standards, to return to God. And they said, you don't belong here. Why have you come? So I responded, why have you come? Are you an Anglican? No, said the one. And I turned to the other, are you an Anglican? 
He said, no, no. I said, are you a Christian? Do you love Jesus? And I heard, I'm against apartheid. I said, the issue is not apartheid. The issue is God and your relationship with him. Are you born again? And so they started to swear at me and shout, I'm against apartheid. This is like a monotonous cry. It's apartheid, apartheid, apartheid. So I said, um, fine, we know what you're against. What are you for? And at that point, one of the men started to swear at me with great anger. I said, so, you see, this is the kind of support that Desmond Tutu has. And more people <laughs> burst out and curses and threats towards me. So I said, I do not see the love of Christ in your hands. I don't see Christian love in your faces. I only see bitterness and hate. Repent of your evil. Repent of your hatred. Turn from your sins. Turn to Christ. And it was an absolute shock silence. And then more hateful curses and threats and accusations. Now, at this point, Desmond Tutu had come out of the church for the key part of the ceremony. He was dressed in his regalia, and he had his big wooden stick, you know, the, the crook, or we said the crook was holding the crook, and the crook was holding stick. Um, and so he, he was standing outside the doors of the cathedral, which had been shut. And so he's standing up then. This is the key part of the ceremony when he's meant to bang with a stick on the door, which thunders throughout St. George Cathedral. And then they would open the doors and the people would be singing and he'd enter in, in procession and be enthroned and all that. But all the journalists were around me. <laughs> so Desmond Tutu standing at the top of the steps. And I could see the journalists were so gathered around me that they couldn't see behind them was Desmond Tutu trying to call him back to take pictures of him entering the door. And uh, I, I was distracting him. So um, at, at some point with some people coming and tapping on the shoulders, the journalists turned around and started to focus. And then there was this hushed silence for a moment as Desmond Tutu lifted up his big crook about to bang the double doors of St. George Cathedral. And one of our people, John, he shouted out for the whole mob to hear, you have chosen Barabbas. And everyone turned around. You could see even Desmond Tutu looked over his shoulders uh, at this, and then it was even more pandemonium. So it was really mob evangelism. Uh, the newspapers, even the Soweto and others, all reported on a demonstration and said that a small group of very energetic demonstrators almost overshadowed the main event. And um, it's true. There was, I don't think there was more than nine or ten of us in total in this demonstration, literature distribution, counter-operation uh, amongst this mob of some, uh, we had one of our ladies there, Cindy, um, and I've got a picture of this too that, uh, I don't know who took the picture, but there's a, uh, a picture of this mob and you can just see the hate in the face with a finger pointed right in the face. And the man was saying at that time, we are going to necklace you. And this is to Cindy Leoncinas, who is head of victims against uh, terrorism. Um, and uh, she uh, was standing outside. She'd been one of the people who'd laid the wreath out against the, the side of St. George Cathedral. So this was um, the kind of thing that was on the go there. Well, Desmond Tutu was a real political rabble-rousing priest. And uh, uh, he not only uh, praised the missionary and church member, Christian murdering Zanu PF terrorist of Robert Mugabe, saying the kingdom of God has arrived in Zimbabwe, but he also thanked the communist dictator of Mozambique, Samora Michel, and, uh, and his Philema government for all that they'd done for Mozambique, which seemed an incredible attitude to take against an atheist who had declared war in the church in 1974, who had destroyed or confiscated over 8,000 churches, who had imprisoned tens of thousands of believers, massacred hundreds of thousands of people, banned the Bible, and expelled all missionaries. As I document, my first mission field was Mozambique, and I wrote the book In the Killing Fields of Mozambique. And here Desmond Tutu actually thanked and praised Samora Michel, dictator, mass murderer, a man who cursed God publicly to prove that God didn't exist. And here's Desmond Tutu, the religious political priest, uh, praising him. So uh, Desmond Tutu, what did he stand for? Well, he stood for socialism. He stood for LGBTQRS uh, and all of that. And he was also incredibly pro-abortion. So it's an interesting point uh, to note that uh, Desmond Tutu, uh, when it came to Mary Stopes, he apparently took money to pose with his red clerical collar, his bishop's uh, attire, and he uh, did a picture of them and did a quote, which was then used on pull-up banners inside abortuaries, abortion clinics. 
of Mary Stopes. Now, Mary Stopes is reputed to be the largest abortion provider worldwide. And uh, Mary Stopes, I think, is like the British equivalent of Margaret Sanger would be for Planned Parenthood in America. Well, the endorsement, which we've got a picture of, and I've even put on my Peter Hammond Facebook page uh, for people to see, and on African Christian Action, if anyone wants to see this pull-up banner, Desmond Tutu promoted abortion in the waiting rooms of these abortaries. And he praised the um, Mary Stopes abortery for the invaluable work that they did in empowering women. Can you believe it? Empowering women and their excellent service uh, and uh, invaluable service. Uh, so he described himself as pro-choice. Imagine that a bishop, an archbishop, um, being part of, in fact, uh, Gateway News and others tried to get clarity from his spokespeople. Did he accept any money uh, from Mary Stopes for this endorsement of the work and for this advertisement? And the only answer he could get from the uh, Desmond Tutu Foundation was that the Desmond Tutu Foundation does receive donations, but they would not confirm or deny that they'd received donations for this particular endorsement of um, abortion by Desmond Tutu. And uh, absolutely disgraceful. Uh, on LifeSite News, they also uh, quoted uh, the head of student action of tradition, family and property, John Ritchie, said, why should someone who doesn't even respect the most basic right to life be honoured? And, and that, that's a pretty good um, question. Well, in 1993, when St. James Church of England was attacked by terrorists, five terrorists, uh, wielding machine guns, throwing hand grenades with strap around them, nails for extra impact, murdering people uh, in St. James Church, uh, the same congregation where both my brother and my father were converted, and uh, they opened fire on the congregation. One of my missionaries, in fact, my, my um, mission manager at the time, Schaaf and Vake, was in the congregation sitting at the back of this mega church. This is a 1,500-seater auditorium. And uh, he was sitting at the back, and when he realized it was an attack, he dropped to his knee, pulled out his snub nose 38 revolver, and from a distance of something like 50 meters, a half a football field distance, because he was at the back of the church, he shot and hit the a terrorist um, who was a Kai Makoma, who was a machine gun congregation from the front, and hit him in the hand, and uh, that marked the withdrawal of the terrorists. They fled. Uh, he then went outside and opened fire again on the terrorists who gathered around the, the car with their rifles raised, obviously waiting for people to come uh, out the doors to, to have another shot at them. And uh, Shah fired at them, and then they fled in the car and left some blood trails, which later enabled him to track down and convict three of these uh, terrorists on this. Well, Desmond Tutu, the very next day after the St. James massacre uh, took place, was quoted in the newspapers as condemning the congregant who went to church armed and shot back. He didn't condemn the terrorists for attacking the church. He condemned on the front page of the Cape Times and the Argus, our two main newspapers in Cape Town, my missionary director, for shooting back at the terrorists. He said, it's just not on having a congregant coming to church with a gun. And uh, he seemed outraged that Charles had made the working environment of these terrorists unsafe. And, uh, you know, uh, you could just see the whole mentality of this, this um, uh, political priest liberation theologian by his outrage being poured out on the one who actually stopped the massacre and who received a police commendation uh, for his courage in uh, stopping the attack firing back and pursuing the terrorists till they were off the, the territory, uh, off the property of the church, and that he saved hundreds of lives. And indeed he did, because those terrorists, the Pan-African Congress upload terrorists who had attacked St. James, planned after the attack to have thrown petrol bombs at each of the doors uh, to prevent people getting out of the church and hopefully burn the church down around them. And then they were going just about a kilometer away to where there was another Anglican church, and that was a Christ church. And they were going to attack that, so they planned to attack two of the biggest churches in Cape Town, who were both very close to one another, both in Kenilworth, uh, and uh, which are suburbs outside of Cape Town, uh, on the same night. But because they received armed resistance at the one, and one of the people was wounded, uh, they, they fled, and that was the end of the attack. So Charles saved a lot of lives, in fact, by shooting back, and uh, Tutu was, was enraged. Well, Tutu's um, public relations uh, campaign didn't end there. 
he turned up at the church the day after the attack. Now, it was a police uh, sealed off crime scene, and no one was allowed in the church. Of course, you know, forensics need to be done, all this sort of thing. And so the southern policeman standing at the door, uh, when Tutu arrived with his media entourage, want, uh, and in his full regalia, dressed up as an archbishop, and demanded access to the church. And the policeman, um, of course, denied him access. And then he said, but I'm the head of the denomination. I'm the archbishop. And this policeman was intimidated and let him in. And there's pictures of Tutu walking around the church getting photographs of him in a bombed out, shot out church. And these went worldwide. Now, the fact is in South Africa, the Church of England in South Africa is not the same as the Church of the Province of South Africa, which are Anglican. So you've got two Anglican denominations in South Africa. You've got the Church of England in South Africa, which is faithful to the 39 Articles and which is truly um, a Church of England, but they are not liberal. They are not um, in any way um, liberation theology. They're evangelicals. They're Bible-believing. In fact, the slogan of the Church of England South Africa was God's word above all things, and that was written uh, in big letters over the entrance to the church as well, God's word above all things. It was a very strong um, anti-World Council Church's denomination. In fact, the, world, the um, uh, Church of England South Africa had on their letterheads and on every church bulletin and outside every church, when Bishop Stephen Bradley was the presiding bishop, uh, in no way affiliated to the World Council Churches or its affiliates. So it plainly was different. Desmond Tutu belonged to the Church of the Province of South Africa, the Anglican Church, which was liberal and rejected an errancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth and so on. And uh, so what Desmond Tutu was doing was very dishonest. But the average policeman would not know the difference between one Anglican denomination and another Anglican denomination. So Desmond Tutu used deceit to gain access to St. James immediately after the attack. And of course, with media coverage all over the world um, of, of the St. James terrorist attack and seeing Desmond Tutu's picture, this is why friends of mine from overseas said, oh, how terrible to hear that white supremacists attacked a black congregation of Desmond Tutu in Cape Town. And I said, well, actually, it's not that at all. It's, it's black supremacists of the Pan-African Congress, um, uh, the Azanian People's Liberation Army, uh, or UPLA, who attacked a congregation of multiracial congregation, but mostly white people, in, in the kennel with the white suburb. No, but but it, it was Desmond Tutu's congregation. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. We saw the picture. And so uh, Desmond Tutu's officers were deluged with vast donations from around the world in sympathy for the attack on his congregation by these evil white supremacists, which you can understand the perceptions that were given worldwide. And, of course, the Bishop of St. James, Bishop Frank Ratifu is a fine evangelical man. He was too busy counseling the people in hospital and the bereaved uh, people who had lost their wife and lost their uh, um, children and lost loved ones. And so he was busy doing what the pastor, what the bishop should be doing. And he wasn't doing media interviews. And so Desmond Tutu, for the first few days after the attack, it was him and his quotes that dominated the news headlines. And that's why there's still people around the world, even to this day, who probably think the St. James Massacre was done by whites against blacks, whereas actually it was the reverse. And many who think it was the Church of Desmond Tutu that was attacked, was actually Desmond Tutu was attacking the person who shot back and defended the, the people in the church and chased away the mass murderers and saved lives. So reality was inverted. Uh, and the, here you can kind of see where, where Desmond Tutu really stands. And uh, Desmond Tutu was very pro-abortion, he was very much for gun control and against uh, private ownership of firearms. Uh, he was also very strongly for um, the LGBTQ agenda. And so he said, for example, if God is homophobic, I would not worship that God. And if homosexuals are not allowed into heaven, I don't want to go there. Interesting. Um, uh, he was part of the Parliament of World Religions uh, in 1999, which we also demonstrate against and were involved in. Uh, when he was with the Dalai Lama and others, a uh, living God and some South Korean goddess and who knows what else was there. So we were doing evangelism at that point. So Desmond Tutu, um, an extraordinarily important person when it comes to the New World Order and to liberation theology, uh, but not an orthodox believer. And therefore, it makes it very strange that there's so many people who are praising him. Now, I understand what communists would praise him. I understand why liberation theologians would praise him. 
What I don't understand is why we would have so many evangelicals praising Desmond Tutu at this time. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And nothing to worry about, uh, Peter, but just um, uh, very faintly, you may have heard folks from about 41 minutes in, there was a slight choppiness underneath what Peter said. I didn't interrupt because we could still hear Peter fine. But if you imagine it the other way round, if you imagine Peter being the... Uh, at the level of the choppiness and the choppiness being at the level of Peter. That is what happened to us with regard to the technical problems I mentioned a few weeks ago, which was two days after we released our 1666 show on Sabotage Evie. So make of that what you will. And for those of you who listen to other shows, I'll give you an example. The Jeff Wentz show when he has Erika Khan on and sometimes joined by Nurse Anne as well. The amount of times that those people have been cut off when they talk about what the vaccines are actually doing to people and what they can prove, you hear the phone get cut off. And so these people are listening, and they're listening in the time that, not just live, because I'm not live. We're recording this on the Wednesday. It's going out on the Thursday. They intercept this broadcast, and they listen to it then so they can disrupt it in areas that they don't like. And isn't it interesting that when Peter gave the accurate account of the St James Church massacre that is when the choppiness started so I'm just going to move on to we I mentioned earlier in the uh, show about how the mainstream media are, are, are praising this guy Peter just referenced that as well with regard to evangelicals now bear in mind he died at the weekend now this article from the BBC went out on Tuesday so that was a couple of days after his death it's a new piece so I'll just give you an example the first couple of paragraphs as to how they want to portray this individual headline Desmond Tutu the staunch and steadfast healer of a nation uh, it says, Desmond Tutu is remembered with so much joy and affection by so many different people around the world today that it may seem hard to imagine a time or place when he was viewed not as a courageous moral crusader, but as a devil. It was the mid-1970s and South Africa was ruled by a white minority regime through a brutal system of racial apartheid. Nelson Mandela was in prison and his Soviet-backed liberation movement, the ANC, was outlawed. Interestingly, white South Africans focused their fears and hatred on a diminutive but outspoken Anglican priest recently appointed to a prominent church position in Johannesburg. Tutu was the devil incarnate, literally. One of our family friends said that he was the embodiment of evil and the hatred was just extraordinary. Remember John Allen, a white journalist who later became Desmond Tutu's official biographer. So, uh, Peter, I'll hand back to you. That's the BBC's take. Uh, no surprise there. Oh, the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation. More biased broadcasting right there. Um, well, you know... I should just say, um, because it's it's an intriguing um, uh, aspect, that Desmond Tutu was the chairman for the National Council of Churches in Rondebosch, uh, in Rustenburg. National Council of Churches was, in 1990, a propaganda operation where there was the attempt to co-opt the church leaders of all churches, including evangelicals. I was actually a delegate there, an official delegate <laughs> invited by... Uh, uh, I presume Desmond Tutu, who is the chairman, others, to take part with about another hundred and something church leaders from around the country uh, at uh, Rustenburg. And <clears throat> Desmond Tutu, while chairing there, actually um, had to say something in my defense. It was, it was quite a, a funny uh, scenario. I was an official delegate, and uh, the subject was towards a united Christian witness in a changing South Africa. And uh, this is 1990. So uh, F.W. de Klerk, the Prime Minister, the President of South Africa, had just released Mandela, unbanned the African National Congress, unbanned the South Communist Party, released vast amounts of uh, convicted terrorists out of our prisons, and allowed the exiles, um, the terrorists and their supporters from overseas to come back in, and started talks heading towards uh, a new South Africa. So what they were wanting is uh, our church leaders to rubber stamp the whole thing. But um, uh, I even though I was only 30 years old at the time, um, I had the opportunity to throw a few um, wrenches in the works and uh, uh, undermine their 
their whole operation so much so it became national news how I'd completely sabotaged their the operation because uh, I became uh, one of the uh, scribe in one of the uh, discussion groups and while I wasn't discussion group leader as the chosen scribe I was the one who uh, could stand up and give the report and what our discussion group said and apparently the declaration that came out, out afterwards would be a synthesis of all the different groups well didn't include anything that we had concluded and written down our group but um, so I stood up at this one point and uh, it, it was a who's who of the communist uh, uh, world of liberation theologians. Everyone from Alan Bussack uh, onwards, just just you know, Archbishop Hurley, you name it, uh, all the radicals were there in, in one place. And uh, Tutu was the chairman. So I stood up and I put that we uphold the right to life of pre-born babies. And, you know, immediately there was screams and shouts and swear words from people dressed in bishops' outfits with hulking great big crosses hanging around their necks. And what did I just say that got them so aggravated? One sentence, we uphold the right to life of pre-born babies. Because I knew that they were planning to legalize abortion. And uh, so the disc set the cat amongst the pigeons. And it was absolute um, hysteria about that. Well, you know, then I carried on and that uh, we um, support the right for parents to control the education of the children, which must be based on the moral principles of the Bible uh, and that the textbooks and teachers need to be uh, accountable to the parents. Well, at this point, um, I had more hysteria and screams and shouts and swearings from different uh, places uh, because I was um, uh, suggesting that we should have parental control, not government control of education, that should have the Bible. And somebody was saying that uh, out of and this was an evangelical leader, Hugh Wetmore, head of the Evangelical Association of South Africa. He stood up and said that out of love for our neighbors, we must allow equal access for Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and other religions in the classroom. I said, well, how is it loving to your neighbor to allow religious deception and uh, to lead people to an eternity in hell? You know, And you can imagine there was an explosion of outrage. And uh, while it was, it was like a riot in there, and I'm standing there with a microphone in front of the platform, <laughs> and the people going berserk, and Desmond Tutu had to come to the mic and say, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, President, uh, uh, but we must let this brother speak. He is an official delegate. <laughs> so Desmond Tutu actually spoke up for me. Um, <laughs> shortly after that, um, I, uh, on another occasion, stood up and I, I uh, spoke about how blasphemy must be outlawed and uh, and pornography. And again, this evangelical, not a liberal, an evangelical, Hugh Whitmore, the so-called evangelical fellowship, he stood up and said, if we want freedom for the Bible and Christianity, we need to allow equal freedom for pornography and blasphemy. Now, does that make sense to anybody who's not on cocaine? But um, that was the kind of idiocy we had at the, at this National Council of Churches, uh, which was under Tutu's chairmanship. Well, at the end, they published fraud. They claimed that over 360 delegates representing 200 denominations had unanimously agreed at Rustenburg on, which was basically in state of emergency, troops out of townships, blah, blah, blah. It was all, you know, hand over to ANC, Mandela for president. It was basically um, the, the narrative of the um, African National Congress rubber stamped. And this is meant to be the synthesis and unanimous agreements of all the groups, which it wasn't because it didn't include my group, for example. And I certainly hadn't voted for this. So being a researcher, I arrived at this hotel. I picked up the leaflet, which said that this has conference facilities, which can accommodate a maximum of 160 people. And I'm intrigued to see that 360 delegates from 200 denominations were there because, you know, I can count and I do that in meetings. And I looked around and including the press, there were not even 160 people, it was under 160. Um, but uh, I also walked into the press room and I liberated a full copy of all the delegates. And for my calculations, we had 39 denominations or organizations represented, which included universities, 11 universities, if you want to call a university a denomination uh, or new religion or something. And in fact, the 160 include the press and everything. So, uh, I was able to set up press statements and uh, on radio and TV point out that uh, the organizers of the National Council of Churches are lying. 
we couldn't have fitted 360 delegates in there. The accommodation couldn't accommodate it. There weren't 360 delegates. I've got the delegates here. And there weren't 200 denominations. In fact, at a stretch, you could have 39. And that's even adding universities as denominations. So I basically exposed the fraud of it. And I said, there never was a vote. It wasn't unanimous. I was vocal in my opposition to all this. Uh, so, you know, this is a fraud. And why they're lying and why they're suppressing it. This ended up with huge um, battles in the radio and TV and my denomination, uh, I'm a Baptist. The Baptist Union of South Africa president came down to my congregation and I was brought into a modern inquisition. There was the president of the Baptist Union and a whole array. And they were in a semicircle and there was one chair in the middle for me. Um, I was looking around to wonder where the stake was. But, uh, uh, and I was told by the president of the Baptist Union, this is Peter Hammond Contramundum. Contramundum, which means against the world, said, everybody supports the National Council. We all want black majority rule in this country. It's just you. You're the one who's undermining it. You with your talk about the persecution church in Mozambique and, and in Zimbabwe, and you're getting people panicked so that they don't want to support this. And uh, here we are trying to have a new South African. You're the only one in the way I'm interfering. And uh, so I was basically kicked out of my congregation and um, uh, threatened uh, not to speak like this anymore because I was upset in the boat. And I was told, you, you know, you're rocking the boat and um, uh, you you are uh, against the world. You're against all of us. You, you undermine, you're endangering us. And now, this is interesting. I mean, the ANC and Mandela and Tutu and so on are all these lovely, peace-loving um, people who wouldn't hurt a fly, but they were afraid for the safety of the church. If I continue to be a member, they're afraid for the denomination. They're afraid for our religious freedom. If I continue to oppose this now, does this make sense that here you are talking about, but these are wonderful people and they're going to bring in a new era of freedom, but they're afraid if one of their members speaks against it, we're all going to lose our freedom and maybe even our lives and our church might get burned down. So that's the kind of um, Stockholm syndrome, gaslighted, uh, guilt manipulated, confused, uh, loving their chains rather than freedom type of response we got. But um, so uh, I should just say in Desmond Tutu's behalf that he did speak up for me. And uh, also, at one point, more recently, he said the ANC has proved to be worse than apartheid. So let me uh, point out that even a stop clock can be right twice a day. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. That's fascinating information. A wonderful presentation. Extremely timely. Folks, all that you see in the mainstream media, I can confidently say, will be in a similar vein to the BBC article. And that's what we try and do on this show, is to give you an alternative viewpoint, which Peter documents extremely well. And with that in mind, before we go, Peter, could you please let the audience know how they can contact you and where they can find your work? Thank you, Andrew. Our website's www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org, and my personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, or ZA as Americans would say. So peter at frontline.org.za is my email, and www.frontlinemissionsa.org is the website. You can find me on Facebook as well, both Frontline Fellowship and, and Peter Hammond. Thanks so much, Andrew. Glad you're willing to give the other side um, I know that this won't make us very popular with the powers that should not be, but truth does not fear investigation. You're absolutely correct, and thank you so much, Peter. And folks as well, I just want to um, remind you all that we did a special show on Christmas Day, which was Peter's Christmas message for 2021. Now, I mention this now because it didn't go out of the live channels like Eurofolk Radio or Rents because I don't have a slot at the weekend and I know some of you may not even be aware of it and so it's a good place to announce this. It'll still be on the website achshow.com for another three weeks before it drops off but it's show number 1676. I urge you to listen to it and providing we're on the air, you, sorry you can also get it at Peter's website the Frontline Fellowship, the link will be in the post for this show. He archives all of the shows that we do together so you can find some more historic ones there and certainly 
I um, expect to be able to do this with Peter again. It'll go out on the Sunday of 2022 because that's when Christmas Day will be and we will endeavour to record another Christmas message show as we have done for the last few years. So I want to thank Peter so much for doing that again this year and please check it out at achshow.com, show number 1676. So I want to thank Peter so much for joining me today for a show entitled The Real Story of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I want to thank all of you for listening. And in the meantime, have a wonderful day and bye for now.